Well, as we've been talking in this series, we're looking at who is Olive Branch, where are we headed? And as we are continuing forward, I hope that you guys are feeling good and woke up this morning. I realized that like first service people, they come. They're like, they're awake. It doesn't matter if I take another hour away from them. They're morning people. Like you guys are second service. You feel this, don't you, right now? You're like, my gosh, where's the coffee drip? Tap me in. I'm good. I'm ready. I need this. Um, we're just glad that you are here. And again, we're going to be diving into this conversation on who are we as a church. If you're watching at home and because you're afraid of the coronavirus and you're hanging out there, we're glad that you're watching there as well. And uh, so we're just excited to, to lay all of this out. It took me back to when I was a child, though in the elementary school, running around in the 1980s, uh, up and down on the playground. And you remember, if those of you who were alive at that time, do you remember where they had that giant mesh metal um, kind of a jungle gym that they would have, right? It would be shaped in different dome shapes, or it'd be taller. One was like squat low on the ground. And so kids would get on that thing, and man, it would be everything from a spaceship to like an igloo. In the wintertime, it would be cold, and so you'd be hanging on there. There was always some girls thinking this is a place to hang upside down on their knees, you know, and the boys would always be jumping on. We'd separate and have teams and we'd attack it with sticks and all that kind of fun stuff. And then the summertime would roll around. It would get hotter and hotter and you'd get on that thing and you'd touch it and your hands would be, and you get like third degree burns. You remember that thing? And no wonder they're not around anymore. They're all gone. And um, so, but this was, this picture of that jungle gym, if you guys played on one of those, is the picture I want you guys to hold in your mind about church especially about Olive Branch, this idea that you and I engage in something that honestly I can't force you to be a part of. You are a part of something that you have to make something of it. That jungle gym just sat there. It was a bunch of wire metal frames and it was up to the children to take hold of it and make something of it. It was up to us to grab hold of it, use our imaginations and move forward. In the same way, it's up to you guys to dive in and connect to what we've been talking about. Last week, we addressed the question of a missing relationship in the midst of all of this um, craziness in the United States. And that missing relationship was that of God. A relationship of knowing God and connecting with God and having that, that, deep, that deep communion with God. And we said that our church is designed to lead people to know Christ, to know God, so that it changes them and changes their life and their world. Now, the way we did that then is we talked about loving, living, and sharing Christ wherever we go. Our engagement is to know God in such a manner that we love him, we develop that relationship with him in that personal time, and it begins to shape and change the way that we live in our world, amongst our friends, amongst other people. That becomes a deeper relationship. And from that, man, whatever we love and whatever we live for, we share. And then we said, but it's wherever we go. And that's the final piece that I want to kind of look in today because that wherever we go is the, is the corporate picture. It's that part of this that while you are loving, living, and sharing Christ individually, there is a sense that we are a whole body, that we are more than just an individual person, right? Do we get this? What's interesting is that like a body, like your physical body, this church acts in a similar manner. Now think about it. Did you know that your physical body over seven years will shed every single atom and replace it with a different atom. That you are literally atomically different than you were seven years ago. And that says something because you're still the same person. 
That means your material and who you are are not connected because you have every different cell, every different atom in your body is not the same one you had seven years ago, and yet you are still you. And what's interesting about that is because you're a spirit. You're a person who dwells in your body. You are you. In the same way, this church has a radically different makeup of people, doesn't it? I mean, Ike Riddle planted the church 31 years ago in Norco, and what we have today is basically... Nobody. I think there's probably one, maybe two people who are in that original setting. And otherwise, everyone else is different. Everything else about this church is radically different from that beginning point, save one thing, and that is the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that dwells in this church, the Spirit that founded this church, the Spirit that began this church through Ike Riddle, is the same Spirit that calls us forward and moves us forward to testify about something, to to witness about something. And we find that here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you got your Bible, grab it. We're going to look at this. This is going to lay out like a schematic, like some blueprints for us in this idea of wherever we go. And so as you open up, you'll find it here in in Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 8 and following. You need a Bible. There are Bibles under seats. You can grab that. I just want to keep focused in here on this passage. Because what's going on is Jesus just resurrected from the dead. He spent time teaching his disciples. And Dr. Luke in this book is beginning to explain to us what Jesus did from there. The disciples are hanging out. They're near Jesus. This is like the highlight of their youth group experience, right? Just like all of us. And just like youth group kind of situations, and that's why I look at this, everybody's youth group was like electric, exciting kind of events. And you always look back to it. Same way, they're sitting here with Jesus. It's brand new. Everything's about to launch. It's so exciting. It's so new. And now... Jesus is basically looking at him and saying, okay, it's time for me to go. And they go, hold on, hold on. You haven't preached the book of Revelation yet. We really want to know the end times. That's what they say. They say, is it not for you to, or, and, hey, tell us, what, when will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I'm not going to answer these end times questions. I'm not going to get engaged with the book of Revelation right now. It wasn't even there yet. But I'm not going to do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you guys to consider what the mission is what the real direction of the church is. And it starts here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so right there, Jesus begins to lay out the very layers of this schematic, this program. So when I talk about wherever we go, we're going to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. I first begin to mean this. I mean that wherever we go means we're going to reach locally. We're going to reach Corona. Amen, church? This is what, Jesus, this is what, was, what Olive Branch was planted for. Ike Riddle, 31 years ago, sat down, and he was at a church, and he was trying to call that church to evangelism, call the church to the very conversation we're having today. And that church said, nah, we enjoy just gathering together and praying and being near each other. They didn't want to press that message out. And so Ike said, you know what? I want to see a church that does this. I want to see a church that's reaching the valley. And when he meant the valley, he, he didn't just mean Corona. He meant the valley, like all the way stretching down into Elsinore, all the way out as far as you could, as you could see when you're standing there looking at the valley out in, River, out in Norco and, and that area. And he's like, I want, to, I want a church that is on fire for Jesus, reaching this whole valley. And so he began going door by door, knocking on homes, and he started in Norco, and he began to build a church, and it began to grow as it moved into the northern portion of Corona, and now it came to here, and it's continued to develop since. And again, that constant flow of people has moved through, and now we're at today with this same calling, that our call is to reach Corona, just as their call was to reach Jerusalem. That was their local area. 
Now, Jerusalem was the place that Jesus had died and risen from the dead. And, and they weren't born there. They were from Galilee. They were transplants. You know, they had moved into Jerusalem just in the last few months to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, this is where I want you to start. I want you to reach out locally in this Capitol building right here in this area where it all happened. Testify to what I was doing. Tell everybody what's going on. Be my witnesses. And so we understand there are two ways that we can be witnesses. First of all, is very similar to what happened with my wife. Years and years ago, I was sitting next to my wife. We were in, in a row of chairs, very similar to what you're sitting in here. But the tension was very high. We were extremely nervous because my wife had to get up at one point, walk down that very aisle, across the bar, and sit down in a witness seat, raise her hand and swear that she would tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help her God. And suddenly my wife is sitting there in a trial setting as a witness to a murder. And the press enterprise had already published our, you know, our location. They were so helpful to us at that point. And so it was, it was one of these frustrating situations just to paint the tension. And the tension was so high because there was these gang, these little gang member boys with their gang member families that were sitting around them. And everybody was looking at my wife going, you, you, you're going to point out my son? And so she's sitting there having, yes, indeed, point to the kids that she recognized that were, that were the perpetrators of this event. And, and in the middle of that, she goes through this process. That's nerve-wracking enough. Suddenly, the defense gets up, and they just start drilling on her like she's a liar, like she doesn't know what she's talking about. And I love my wife. She gets like, when she gets challenged, she gets like super steely, and she's like, it's all like, oh, no, you didn't. And so she starts drilling right back at them and did a great job. And so, but when I left, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is such an image. I was actually angry. I thought about this later. But, uh, you know, it's such an image of how you guys and I go out to testify about Jesus. You get out there and you're like, this is the best, this is Jesus, this is this, 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 this. And there's always a defense lawyer somewhere lurking amongst us, isn't there? Ready to drill you back with questions and poke you and tell you why you don't know what you're talking about. That's one way of testifying. And we can engage in that way, and I call that sharing Christ. But as a corporate body, there's another way to testify as a total. And I see this when we're at a funeral, when people stand up and they literally proclaim a testimony of their family member who's passed. And they lay out these attributes of who this person was and what this person meant to them and what they did in their life. And you know what's crazy? Every time somebody gets up and shares what they've experienced of a person that they knew so well, I rarely, if ever, and I've never seen this, afterwards find somebody walk up and go, I don't believe you. He wasn't that way. You know, there's no defense lawyers attacking you after a funeral. And what's interesting to me is that what we're engaged with here is something that I want that, that testimony about Jesus to come from our church locally to be about making Jesus' name great. Not about making all of Branch's name great, not about my name great, not about your name, but Jesus' name should be great. And that's our aim. In our local outreach, we seek to reach locally by giving Jesus a great name through Olive Branch. That means my basic focus isn't just to have lots of people come and big, big church with lots of numbers and lots of venues. Sure, that'd be great. Let's have a giant budget where there's never any needs. Sure, that would be awesome. But the focus isn't to have those things. The focus is to make Jesus' name honored. The Proverbs put it this way. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. If you ask a pastor what great riches are, it's a big congregation with lots and lots of money. It is better to make Jesus' name great in a community than it is to have riches and gold. We agree with that? 
that it'd be better to have Jesus be proclaimed and known. Now, what I think happens is if you do that well and you proclaim Jesus' name well and you honor his name well, I have a tendency to believe you're going to find that there are people attracted to Jesus, that there are people who are going to receive Jesus, there are people that are going to come to Christ, they're going to be discipled, and a church is going to grow. And I think the goal, though, isn't just to grow the church to grow the church. The goal is to glorify the name of Christ. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? How do we get to the place that when you invite somebody to Olive Branch, they're thinking, oh, that's that place that, that acts like a church really should act. And the way you do that is by doing what Jesus did. We're going to use our, in our local outreach, we want to do what Jesus did. And what's fascinating is Matthew had the, had the opportunity to talk about Jesus as he wrote out his biography. And he summed up Jesus' mission. He summed up what Jesus did in one sentence. And it's here in Matthew chapter 4, Verse 23, how did Jesus become a big name in his area? How did Jesus become known? Well, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Three things. Three things that Jesus went out, and throughout the book of Matthew, you're going to see these three things consistently show up. He's going to teach in synagogue, he's going to proclaim the kingdom of God, and he's going to heal and so this is what I think we should be doing. We should be a people who are teaching. Maybe not in the synagogues, but we're going to be teaching. And what's powerful about Jesus' teaching is that Jesus' teaching met needs. Maybe you didn't see it before, but when you dive in and you start looking at the teachings of Jesus, he didn't just show up and start talking about random things. He's like, okay, hi guys, I'm here to tell you the spiritual way of the kingdom of God. And everybody's like, ooh, I never heard this. I never thought about that before. No, he always wound up teaching to the things people were wondering about. How am I as a Jewish man and woman supposed to live under Roman rule? I thought we were supposed to have our own kingdom by now. And Jesus comes along and says, you want to live under Roman rule? You want to live well? When they tell you to go a mile, you go with them too. You know, when they tell you to pay taxes, pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to the Lord what is the Lord's. You want to know how to live well under Roman rule? Love your enemies, he said. Jesus was very practical about the needs the people had. How do I live under all these pharisaical rules? What's the Sabbath all about anyway? Look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You can do good and help each other. Don't feel like you're stuck and structured under these laws. No, God loves you. He's given you rest. Be re go get rest. And so Jesus taught on that. He taught on the Pharisees' rules. He taught on Roman rules. He taught about the poor because that was a big problem. People who were poor in the Jewish culture were asking, am I, am I with God? Does God love me? Because it was clear to them in the Old Testament, God blesses you when you're good and you become rich. And they were going like, we're poor. What do we do about this? And, and Jesus like, it's not about being rich or poor. It's about being poor in spirit. God's come for the poor. God loves you. God, want, God doesn't want you to have favoritism towards the rich or the poor. No, he, he loves everybody impartially. And there's this picture that Jesus is teaching on the questions people have. Here, so let's back up for a second. What are the questions the people surrounding you have? What are the questions that your neighbors have? What are the issues that they're facing that Jesus could come and answer because we have the word of God and we're going to bring this word to bear on the questions that your friends have. Man, I was talking to some families and their big questions were like, how do I help my son who's on drugs? How do we deal with this drug overdose culture that we're in right now where everybody's running for pleasure and gunning after this stuff and all they're finding is the dead end of street life and drug abuse? You know, what pastors are talking about that? 
Who's talking about the sex addictions and all the crazy things that are going on in our culture right now with the LGBT movements and all these things? Are, are we addressing these? You know, people are wondering, how, how in the world do I have children and not break them? How do I have a marriage anymore and not wind up like my parents? How do I be a grandparent in this culture where everything's so different than it was for my grandparents? There are so many questions people are asking right now. Are we answering them or are we just stuck on our old questions? Trying to go like, well, this is what we teach and how we teach it. No, Jesus taught to meet the needs of the people. Jesus taught to address the questions so that when they were done, you know what they said? They said, whoa, we've never heard teaching like this because it comes with authority. It comes with power. And I have found that when we are willing to address secular questions with Christian answers, there's power. My wife and I have done a lot of premarital counseling through the years, and our favorite ones are when we do premarital counseling for non-Christians. Yes, we'll invite non-Christians to sit down for Christian premarital counseling. You're like, this is going to be interesting. It totally is. It's awesome. Like, we, the first day, they were like, oh, tell us your story. And they're like, oh, we're living together. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, here's our challenge to you guys right at the beginning. Move out. Stop having sex until the night you get married. That's just our challenge. You don't have to take it. And we always couch it this way. You don't have to take it. But, you know, it's, uh, we believe that it's the best way to start off your marriage. You'll, you'll get your, you, you'll long for each other. You'll separate each other. There'll be a buildup. It'll be great. You're, that night will be worth something at that point. And we lay out all the logic. So far, they've all, they've all taken it. Um, maybe they haven't moved out. But they've all, at least, according to them, not had sex during that time period. We don't really police that. That'd be weird. But the whole point is... <coughs> is that we engage with them and we make that challenge. And then we, what we do is we immediately start talking about what's a marriage. And of course, we have to define marriage as not just the man and the woman coming together to, to be married. It's about a unity that's seeking after being godly like Christ. And as we begin to design this out for them, by the end of it, we're like, yeah, if you're both in two different directions, if you're both after the same thing, but it's not an eternal thing, it's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to run out. And by the end of it, many of them are just like, you know, you can see them going like, I don't know how to design a marriage in a way that's going to work after what we've heard. And many of them have, at least one of the couples we've worked with had begun to go to church and start exploring Christianity where they had none of it in their back, where they had none of it before in their lives. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you that sometimes if we will just deliver the teaching of God in a way that answers the questions that our average friends and family have, there's a power. And there's an entire generation looking for answers that we need to teach because Jesus taught. And when we're also going to then obviously proclaim the gospel, that's what Jesus did. He proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God. We're going to proclaim the message of the gospel. Hey, maybe it's at the fall festival and we use a tract or somebody's telling a story. Maybe it's going to be at our love and live and share weeks or something in these manners. But it's definitely on the weekends, man. We're going to preach the gospel. That means when you invite someone to church, when you say, come and see, we want to tell you we are going to get to the gospel. We are going to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ has filled the gap between us and God. That there is a large divide between being able to know God because of our sin, because of our own self-rebellion. We have caused ourselves to be distant to God and God longs to be near us, but he won't because if he came to us, he would destroy us. And so he sent his son Jesus to bear our sins, to close the gap that if you would receive it, the living God, your creator, would invite you in to bring you back to who you are truly, to train you, to teach you, to walk with you, to give you communion, and yes, heaven and eternal life. And it's a gift. Yeah, that message needs to be proclaimed, amen? That's the message that calls people to true living, to true life and eternal life. 
And that's what we want to see people have. That's what we want people to receive. That's what we want for our children, our grandchildren, our friends, and our neighbors. And so we're going to proclaim that. You're going to share that. We're going to engage that because that's what Jesus did. And when we do that, I think that's what a church, that's what people expect churches to do. They expect us to teach. They expect us to engage with the gospel. What I think they forgot that we do is the third thing here, that we heal. Jesus healed every disease. And you're like, wait, wait, Greg, are you, this is a Baptist church, right? We don't believe in healing. He said, well, actually, we've seen healings in our prayer. Nobody claims that God doesn't heal anymore. We pray over people, and we have seen Dulles palsy healed. We've seen cancer healed. We've seen some pretty amazing things healed in our church. Does that mean we need to run out there and start all kinds of crusades and smack people over the head and heal them? Like, no, no, that's not, that's not where we're going. I'm not, I'm not, I'm fine with you guys going out and praying for people and asking God to heal them. But what I want to do is take it back a minute. What did Jesus do? He healed people, but he touched the leper. He engaged with people and brought them up. He helped the poor. He loved, his healing ministry was beyond just the afflictions. It was the transformation of people. Man, when we go out in a James project, you are doing a healing ministry. Do you realize that? You're engaged with somebody who otherwise has, has a brokenness in their lives, a brokenness in their lawn. They're about to be coded. They can't fix it. And boom, in comes Olive Branch in the name of Jesus to heal. Do you know what CR is? Or Celebrate Recovery is about healing those who are addicts, helping them find hope and get out of an addiction to become whole and healed. Our counseling ministry is about healing. Premarital counseling is about healing. Marriage groups are about healing. What we want to do is not just turn this into something we're all a part of, like, hey, I know more than you do. And that's not the goal. The goal is to invite other people in to become healed, to find wholeness. I have a, a couple that sat me down. They're like, we really want to start a, a ministry to the homeless. And we're like, well, let's, let's figure out how to do that. They want to bring healing in that area where they can bring healing. We should be a part of the movements that are in the church. That's why we do Corona Life Services. We're a pro-life church. We want to see those families healed. We want to see those children and those moms healed because we want to give everybody the best opportunities. We want to bring about a healing amidst this world. And that's what Jesus did. When you do that, I guarantee you the heads turn. People begin to go, what is going on there? Because they forgot that's what the church does. We care about poverty. We care about the broken because we have been put on this earth like Jesus did to heal. We understand that? And that's a calling that we get to be a part of. And we get to paint this jungle gym of local outreach. And here it is. It's this wire structure, kind of an outline of different things that you and I get to engage in, be it in a, in a way of proclaiming, be it in an opportunity of teaching, be it in an opportunity of healing and caring. And man, we build this apparatus and we go, come on, come and play on it. Come on, come and play on it. But where are you going to get involved if you're not? And I want to challenge you. I can't make you get on the jungle gym. I can't turn it into something for you. But you can grab hold of it. You can engage it. You can begin to move forward onto it and see what God is doing. Because we want to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And wherever we go means we're going to reach out locally here in Corona. But it also means we're going to reach out regionally. And so wherever we go means we're going to reach we're going to reach regionally to our area. So take a look again. He goes on. You're going to reach out in Jerusalem, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and 
Samaria. Now, Judea and Samaria, for those of you who may not be aware of the geography, are like the county regions around Jerusalem. Jerusalem's in the center, and the county region is this place called Judea, and the next county above was called Samaria. And so what happens here is that they were reaching beyond just a city to a region. We want to do the same. We're called to reach a region. The reason I believe that is because Corona is uniquely placed at the entrance point to the Inland Empire and the entrance point to, the Orange, to Orange County and L.A. County. We're at the 9115 right there on that mark. You go down to San Diego, you go up to L.A. and Orange County, San Bernardino. We are on the crossroads of counties. And if that isn't specific, that means God has at least some kind of regional mindset for us. So when we talk about regional when we talk about that idea, we're talking about venues and church plants. That's how we get into this. And, and so we want a church plant where we see that there needs to be a vibrant church. And if we have a church plant or wants to step up and say, I want to go, we want to help. At the same time, we may have this idea that there's a lot of olive branchers out there. And we talked last year about the idea of a venue. And we were like, hey, look, we really want to see a venue launched in the Temescal Valley. And we mentioned that, and we see that the need is still there. In fact, man, I will be pumping gas because I live down there at the, at the Vons. And invariably, people who don't go to my church walk up and say, hey, when are you guys coming down here? Because we have the property down there. We got signs and stuff. And they're like, when are you coming? When are you coming? I'm just like, uh, when, it, when, when it's right. You know, there's, there's a plan set. And people are like, well, what's the plan? What's the holdup? What's going on? You launched it last year. We talked about the traffic. You know, it's, gonna, it's there. It's making two different cities. It's making two different people groups. They're both treating each other differently. That's all still true. I've had some people say, well, the traffic's going to go away. They're going to open the new lanes and it'll all get better. And I just look at it and I have one word for that. Ha! <laughs> that ain't going to happen. There's no way. They have more plans for that valley and more homes in Elsinore and all that stuff. It's, the traffic's not going to go away. It's just going to grow. It's going to only separate us um, even more and make that corridor even more difficult to get through and create two different identities. That's, that's happening already. It's not going to reverse. And so our calling is indeed in that region. Our calling is indeed in this region that we are to reach out in both locations. And so when we launched our plan last year, we're like, we're going to go there. This is going to be awesome. And right when, you know what happens when you launch a plan and it meets the enemy? The plan changes, right? Immediately, everything falls apart. And we're like, let's go. Wait a minute. And we paused and we realized there was a couple things. Number one, we had to refocus on our local outreach here in South Corona because we didn't want to gut this, gut our church, sending half down there and the other people feeling all like, we don't have anything to do anymore. This is really boring. You know, like we want momentum in both locations. We want momentum in both the Valley and in South Corona because there are 200 plus thousand people to reach here, folks. We need to have momentum everywhere that we go. We need to have energy everywhere we go. And so we stepped back, we looked at that, and we realized there was also something missing. Something that Jesus, the genius, understood. And as we were rereading and looking at things, we came to realize, you know what? We need leadership. We need leadership development all throughout our church. You see, Jesus knew what he was doing. He, at first, he came along. We know the story of Jesus, right? He walks up the, to the lake, and he's looking at these fishermen. And he goes, hey, come, follow me. And they're like, sweet. And they throw their stuff down and follow him. I'll give you the elementary school version. And so then they go out there, and they come up to the tax booth. And he goes, follow me. And the guy's like, I don't need my money. I'm following Jesus. And off they go, just dropping everything. And all these crowds are forming, following Jesus. Now, what we realize is that there were far more people following Jesus than are just mentioned by name. Because there's a crowd large enough that out of that crowd one day Jesus decides, you know what, I need leadership. 
I've shown them that I want to preach. I've shown them how to teach. I've healed in front of this crowd. They're learning this stuff. Now it's time to organize. And so we see in Matthew chapter 10 that he begins to call people by name. And so he called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. In other words, he says, here's a job description. I give you my job description. I want you to take this. I want you to begin to learn how to do what I do. And then he named them. And we see these names. We got Simon, Peter. We got Andrew, James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas. We got tax collectors, and we got zealots. We got all this group of a motley crew, all now leaders from all walks of life. All told, you're going to be in charge. What's not seen clearly, you have to kind of layer the three different time, four different times this shows up in the text, is that he organized them under heads. There was like four different groups of triads. He even put leaders over leaders. And then we have his little group, Peter, James, and John, that he would take away for separate like executive retreats up on mountaintops and stuff where he'd reveal his glory, that kind of stuff. And there's a very interesting reality that Jesus layered his leadership because he didn't call everybody to be a leader. Guess what? You're called to be a disciple of Jesus. That does not mean you have to be a leader. Can you just take it? Some of you guys are like, oh, thank God. You know, you take a deep breath. I never thought of myself as a leader. But everybody's called to be a disciple. You're all called to use your gifts. You're all called to use the gift God has given you in the spirit. We're going to talk about that more this year, but it is a call that all of us should be at somewhere doing ministry. But some of you are going to be tapped. Some of you are going to be invited to a leadership position where you're going to be over a team, where you're going to be over a lead, over, you're going to be leading a group of leaders who lead teams. And we're going to be training you up and prepping you. Jesus didn't just call these men. He trained them. In fact, he had already shown them what to do. Now he's going to go, all right, you 12, here's what I need you to do. Go. And that's what he does in verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, yeah, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. In other words, go do my job. Go. I've shown you what to do. Now get moving. And they came back, and they did a decent job. And he goes, okay, great. Here's a whole 140. Go again. And he kept training them on the job. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. When you get shoulder tapped, when your name is brought up, and, you, and they're saying, hey, come here. We need your help. We're going to train you. We're going to get you involved to the point that you can manage that team, that you can enable that ministry. And guess what? Ministry will then be about us doing ministry, not some group of staff members doing ministry. We're going to reverse that polarity because it requires all of us to be a part, all of us to be engaged, some of us to be leaders. Once you have that leadership beginning to develop and forming, then we can simply say, hey, guess what? It's time to multiply. It's time to separate. It's time to grow in the valley and here regionally. That's how Jesus did it. He trained them up, sent them out, brought them back, trained them up, sent them out, brought them back. Now that they were trained, his entire vision changed, and he marched straight to Jerusalem. And as he got to Jerusalem, he spent one week. He was crucified, rose from the dead. He trained them a little bit more, and then he goes, okay, guys. You're going to have the Spirit of God come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's time to multiply. Go. And that's the point. We, need to, we realize we need to have the leadership development going. So we're launching our influencer track. We're going to be shoulder tapping and calling you guys in. There's not going to be announcements, but it's going to be personal. We see you guys. We know you. We want to engage you right where you're at and call you up. My, my request is that you jump. You say, yes, let's go. Let's get moving. Wherever God has called you, if he's calling you to step up, 
Yes, you're going to feel like, I can't do this. Perfect. You know who else felt like they couldn't do it? Moses. Check out what he did, right? There are lots of people who feel like, I can't do this. Look, I'd rather have you feel like you can't do this than some leader is like, I got this. I'm like, oh, great. That guy thinks he's got it. They go through a lot worse things. But I want to challenge you guys to the opportunity that if you get tapped up and you're beginning to move up, this is the ability then to reach regionally. It's an opportunity to step forward in leadership. And that is the difference. Now, once we're there, yeah, we're looking at locations. We're examining leaders right now for who could take that down there. And then we're going to be opening the conversation about finances, loot, LLL, that's... Side note. And so the point is that we're going to talk about finance, what it's going to take to get down there, how to engage and see what it's going to take financially. But right now, we're really not at that stage. We're at developing leaders. We're at pulling our leadership together, enabling you guys to move forward and see what God is doing through you. And so we're going to reach out. We're going to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And wherever we go means locally, wherever we go means regionally, and wherever we go means globally. We're going to reach out globally. Notice again, he says, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That is the final statement. This is way beyond anything that they could have envisioned. This is far before Coca-Cola ever said, let's get the name of Coke in every nation. Nobody did this. Every religion in the ancient world was content to circle around their little shrine, to circle around their little temple and their little gods, and to stay in their land. It was Jesus alone who had the ambition and the innovation and the development to say, you know what, disciples, I've trained you, take this to the globe, every nation, to these continents you never even knew existed because people are there and they're made in the image of my Father. It is time for you to go, go. This is a global movement. Only after Jesus would other religions go, that's a good idea, we should be a global movement. It was Jesus' invention, his innovation. And we are called not to be a group of people that circle around a little local shrine, circle around a little local temple. We are a global movement that's called to take this message regionally and globally. And we're going to do it at the same time. We're not going to fixate only on local for the extent of, and, glo- for not, and not on global and not fixate on global and ignore local. And we want to do both. Now, there are times where we got to balance that focus around because you can't just only do one versus the other. Our global missionaries, what they long to see is, to be quite honest, a robust growing church at home. Because that's what supports them. And what we should long to see is a local ministry, is a robust ministry happening where the gospel needs to go. And this is why we're going to, when we plant a venue, they have four years to be before they need to send somebody out to an unreached people group. If you plant a church, the requirement would be that they plant onto an unreached people group within the next five years. And the reason why is if you will simply develop locally and globally, man, you're sending out missionaries all over the place. You're going to watch people go and you're going to watch people be challenged. You're going to watch this message go. Now, what's an unreached people? Uh, Let me just clarify this real simple. I'll put it in simple terms. An unreached people is when you get off the plane and if after you've exited the airport and you step out into any normal local position and you walk up to somebody and say, do you know Jesus? They say, no. Uh, where does he live? That, that is an unreached people group. They have no clue who Jesus is. They have no clue what the gospel is because there is no viable church that is multiplying in their area. There's no viable local outreach by people in that language at that place. 
Our goal is to see people go and start churches that are viable from their language, in their, in their location, to see that message begin to develop. And that is what we want to see. And so we're willing to send people. Right now, I love it, we have three different units. That's uh, five different people who are overseas right now. And they're bringing that message. And they're ch- trying to connect that gospel to those around. We don't want to forget them. We want to connect with them. We have, obviously, our other family that is waiting to get moving. You heard about them earlier. And we want to see them get going. We're excited about this. We want to see others raised up and trained and move forward in that same direction. The call is to see that the gospel would be reached or the gospel would go to people who've never heard it. This is what, heart, this was what um, Paul's heart was. Now, if you've ever read the book of Romans, you're here, oh, the book of Romans, it's, it's the theology book. It's not a theology book. It's a missions letter. It is a missions fundraising letter. Paul is writing to the Romans saying, hey guys, here's what I believe. Here's my credentials. Here's what's going on. I'm passing through. Help me out. I want to go to Spain. In the end of the book, he actually says this. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He wasn't coming to Rome to form a church. He already knew there was a church in Rome. You know how we know that? Because he was writing to it, right? That's why it's called the book of Romans. So he's saying, I'm on my way not to preach here. I'll preach. I'll preach a little bit, you give me some money, and then I'm going on to Spain where it's not been known. That's our goal, is to say, let's send people where he's not heard. Let's send people where he's not known. And the desires all of us as a church to engage at some level in global outreach. Now, you're sitting here thinking, what are you talking about, engaging global outreach? Look, we understand one thing about Olive Branch. We are a way station of Orange County and LA County people moving into the Inland Empire and we know we got about four years till they all wake up. The traffic sucks. The heat is awful. And you know, my house is worth a small state. I'm going to move, sell it and move. I'm going to get a great retirement in Arizona and Idaho. I'm going somewhere where I can, have, I, I can have an amazing amount of money and a big, big house. And, and I don't have to worry about life anymore. I get to relax. Look, here's my call. You're going to go. You may not go this year. You may not go in 10 years. But eventually you're going to go. Here's my response. Go on purpose. If you have the ability to sell your giant house, make a ton of money, and you can go to another state, why don't you consider maybe God's calling you not to live in California and to live in another nation, to bring the message of Jesus there, to waste your life in a, in a, in a retirement that you're not engaged with something, or to give your life to something of a great cause in another place where they've never heard the name of Jesus, and they listen to older people. What if we were to have a different mentality that, hey, yeah, I'm going to another state, but I'm going there because I'm taking the same vision. I'm going to love Christ. I'm going to live Christ. I'm going to share Christ. I'm going to do it in this state. I'm going to do it with everything I've got in me because I love Jesus. I'm going to share him. I'm going to be part of outreach here regionally and locally. If you're going to go, go on purpose. And some of you need to consider, are you being called to go globally? And you need to take it seriously. Some of you are being called to go And some of you are being called to stay. And if you choose to stay, stay on purpose. What do I mean by that? You can be part of the global mission and movement and stay on purpose. You can be part of a heart team. You can engage and make sure those people who are overseas have a connection to their church, are being cared for, prayed for, and well supported. You can pray for them. And so pray. Pray for our global missionaries. Pray for those who are overseas. Pray that they're being effective. Pray that they're being defended against sin. Pray that their ministries are being growing and helpful to their area. That they're they're healing and they're proclaiming and they're teaching. 
Or if you have the ability to give, man, I say make tons of money. I want, I want Christians to make tons and tons of money and give tons and tons of money. I think it's, it's horrible when we see billionaires who are secularists and man, how much money of the world is not being used for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, if you have the ability to make money, make it and make lots of it and be ready to use it for the great cases of the kingdom of God. Amen, church? And that's when we see things start to move forward. And you can have that part. You can go on purpose. You can stay on purpose. But if you're here, we're showing you the apparatus, the jungle gym that we've put together. We call Olive Branch. The opportunity for all of us is we're here to get on board this jungle gym, to turn it into what God's called it to be. But it calls you to get engaged. It calls you to jump on board. It calls you to say, what's my part? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Step up into leadership. Maybe reach out locally. Maybe I'm going to support globally or go. But I'm going to be a part of what God called us to do. Because here's the thing. When we're out there, we're testifying. We're testifying to the name of Jesus. The question I want to ask you is, what is your life testifying to? Whose name are people seeing? Do they know Christ because of how you're living? Do they know Christ because of how you're sharing him, because of how you're engaged? Because we're called as a church to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And that wherever we go, it's locally, it's regionally, and it's globally, and we want to see his name known. Amen? I'll give you a minute. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you this opportunity just to speak to the Lord. Maybe he's calling you to go on purpose. Maybe he's calling you to stay on purpose. Ask him, God, what is that part that I need to be a part of? And here at this church, what are you leading me to be a part of? Just spend a few minutes and ask him that question. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to lead us, to open our hearts, to obey you, and to step into what you call us to do. God, we just want to love you more. We want to live for you more. We want to share you, and we know you've called us here locally and in this region, God, even globally, to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you that we don't have to do everything, but you have called us to do a part. Show us what that is, and lead us in it, we pray whether it's later tonight or in tomorrow, God, help us to know and help us to be obedient as we step out in faith to the journey you've called us to be upon. We pray that your name would be made famous through all a branch. We pray it in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen.